Can you hear me now? All right. Good. Hi, Sierra. How are you? It's good to see you. Like, 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 like being pointed out in the middle of a service. Good to see you. I didn't see you sneak in. How did I say hello? All right. Well, we're going to be in John. Imagine that. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. All right. This is uh, Christ's high priestly prayer. This is Christ uh, walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. You can have your own movie of it, but I see the movie playing out where they're they're walking along the path, and all of a sudden Jesus just stops, and he raises his eyes to heaven and begins to pray this prayer. And it's just a beautiful passage of Scripture because we get to see Christ's heart for his church, his loved ones, for his disciples, for his father first, for his disciples, his 11 disciples at this point, right? Because we know Judas had already gone out to betray him. And then ultimately, as we read this, or listen, read the, the prayer that John recorded for us in verse 20, he prays for all the believers that would follow after the disciples. And so it's just a beautiful passage of Scripture for us to see our Lord and Savior's heart towards us and towards um, God's plan and God's kingdom. And last week we covered, the last couple of weeks actually, we covered the first five verses. The first five verses were Jesus' prayer for himself to the Father. And we talked about that. And I, the key verse, at least for me, that was pulled out of that, those first five verses was in verse 3, where Jesus defined eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is defined by Jesus by know, as in knowing the only true God. And so we've spent the last couple of weeks demonstrating in Scripture, through the power of the Spirit, Lord willing, the, un- the need to understand what that knowing God really means. To know God is not just a superficial knowledge. It's a, it's a personal interaction, a personal encounter with God through the gospel declaration, right? That you can know the one and true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. You can only know God through Jesus and how important it is to get God right and get Jesus right. And we see here in these next passages of Scripture, I'm just going to read three verses for you this morning. And we see Jesus begin to pray for his disciples. And so, yes, in context, this prayer, this part, portion of the prayer is specifically for them. But we can easily draw application out of these passages of Scripture for us today. That we can take this and just as the Spirit inspired John to record these readings for Christ's prayer for disciples, we can take those same truths because we know that we are no less than the, the disciples and the apostles in the eyes of God, Right? And the same um, care and love that he demonstrates in this prayer towards his, his apostles, his disciples, is the same love and care that he demonstrates to us. And hopefully I'll find, you'll find this encouraging this morning. So let's read the first, uh, starting in verse 6, and we'll read through verse 8 of John 17. 
Jesus says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world, and they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy. So grateful, Lord, for this opportunity to meet here this morning, to meet inside, to meet amongst one another, and to be able to sing praises to your name, God. You're worthy of all praise and adoration. And we're so grateful for the opportunity, the freedom to come here and to to do that this morning. We do not take it lightly. We've been reminded recently what it's like to be deprived of meeting together and to be able to open up God's word and fellowship together, Lord. And so we're grateful to be here. And we pray this morning, God, that you would use this time to draw us near to you, that your spirit would do a work on our hearts, Lord, that we're here not just to do church, but to worship you. And, and as earlier we did in song, to now we worship you through the studying and the preaching of your word. We ask that you would do a work for our good and for your glory. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we have just a few passages of Scripture. You guys are thinking, we're never going to get through John, right? We're doing three verses at a time. That's all right. I thought it would be good to pause here and just look at these three passages and and just see uh, what I see is just the, the natural flow of what it means. We're talking about eternal life and to eternal life is to know God and we talked last week about how we have to know God's holiness to really truly understand why Jesus had to come to save us from our unholiness and our sinfulness and unless we see the eyes or see the uh, how God has revealed himself as holy and set apart we really don't see the need for Jesus and so to know God is to have a interaction with him at that encounter at that point where where you understand your need for Jesus, that you cannot work your way in your own righteousness to a relationship with God. If you're good enough, long enough, he'll finally accept you. All that is out the window. We, we know that he is holy and our righteousness is his filthy rags, and that's why Jesus had to come. God in the flesh come to die on our account, to take that punishment on our account, so therefore those who would believe and receive the good news that Jesus came to die for you would receive eternal life. And unless you have that encounter, that personal encounter, it's not in a system of religion. It's not in the Southern Baptist system. It's, it's none of that. It's a personal encounter with the gospel message, the need and understanding with the conviction of the Spirit that you need Jesus to save you, to reconcile to your God. And so this knowledge goes far beyond head knowledge. We talked last week about how there's probably many a theologian that can spout many wondrous and intellectual things about God that are found in his word, that yet have not encountered Jesus in a personal way. I shared last night that I have pastors from the Bible Belt, and their main fear is that they look at people that have been going to their church their entire lives because their mama and their granddaddy went to that same church, And yet they fear and wonder if those people have had a true encounter with Jesus. Just because they're going to church doesn't mean they've had that encounter with Jesus. 
It's a belief that produces a living faith. And that's what Jesus presents to the Father in this prayer. He says, and we see this natural flow of what it is to have this believing faith, this active faith, this living faith. There's a sequence that goes on that, that we should all examine, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, I believe, he says we need to examine ourselves whether or not we're in the faith. Not saying that we can lose our salvation, but have we truly encountered Jesus in this way, this saving way? We need to be willing to examine ourselves and make sure that that is the case. And it's also this passage of Scripture is a a good sequence that we should pursue with others outside of the walls of this church. That when we witness and give the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's these elements that are found in this prayer as Jesus presents the disciples back to the Father, that we should pursue for those that we are attempting to disciple and witness to. If you remember, John wrote this gospel. He says in John chapter 20, he says, I wrote these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, and by believing, you may have eternal life. That's what we're here for. I don't know if you noticed or not, but this world is spinning out of control. There's so much darkness, so much evil abounding. And I'm sorry, no political system's going to fix it. No social movement's going to fix it. No government policy, no in particular leader is going to fix it. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can heal the brokenness and the darkness that is found in this world. And we, church, are the light that God desires to use in this dark world. And so what, are the, what is this sequence that we should examine ourselves with? That we, Yes, I've, I've encountered this with, with the Lord, And then as we attempt to disciple and witness and bring others into a saving knowledge of Jesus, this is a good pattern for us to to follow as well. And so the first part of this sequence we find in verse 8, if you'll go there with me. Jesus presents his disciples to him, begins to pray for them. And he says, the first thing he does is he gives them, he gave them in his earthly ministry the the word of God, God's word. Because I have given them the words you gave me. So Jesus comes in his earthly ministry. He, he reflects God's goodness and image and, and provides truth that is found from only from the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? He's given them the words of life. He, and these, these disciples have believed what he has given them. They understand him to be the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Yes, we look at the disciples and know that they're still a little confused as to what that means. But they've proclaimed with their own lips, yes, you are the Son of God, the Messiah. And so Jesus says, look, Father, I've I've given them the word you gave me. And so that's the first part of the sequence is when we go out into this world, right? It's not a slick sales pitch. It's not some system to be able to convince people to accept Jesus. We, we give them the words of life. Those who are outside these walls who do not know Jesus are 
suffering and brokenness and darkness. These are the words of light that we have, and we must, as a church, be willing to go out and give them the word of God, the gospel, the good news. As did Jesus with his disciples. I've given them the word, and the next part of the sequence is they received it. They received the word. Verse 8, they have received them, the words, right, and have known for certain that I came from you. So we can go out and we can give the word of God as much as we want, but unless the hearer receives the word, receives it not just let's go one in there and out the other, unless they receive it as truth and they see their need, it's all for naught. And as we saw in John 16, it's up to the spirit, right? We, we give them the word, we, we cast the seed, but it's the Spirit of God who draws them and convicts them of their need for Jesus. And, and for someone who has a saving relationship, who knows God through Jesus Christ, receives the words. How many times have you gave someone the gospel and you're look, they're, they're like looking at the ceiling like, how long is this going to take, you know? They're just not receiving it. They don't see the need. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to give them the word. But a, a true follower will receive that and they will see that Jesus certainly has come from God. Have we not seen time and time again John demonstrating the deity of Christ and how important it is for those who are in need of Jesus to see him not as just a good teacher, not as just of one of many ways to get to God, but as God in the flesh who came to seek and to save the lost. Those I am statements again and again. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. All these different quotes that John records through the inspiration of the Spirit for us to, to see, allow us to see who Jesus truly is. And, and that warning in John 8 just haunts my mind again and again. Jesus says, I am from above. You are from beneath. I am not of this world. You are. And because you do not believe that I am he, you're still dead in your sins. Jesus says, these disciples that I'm praying for, these are those that have received the words that I've given them, and they know for certain that I come from you. And so we, as we examine our own hearts, have we received the words of life that are found in Jesus and know who Jesus is? is as he revealed himself in, in God's word. The next part of the sequence is believing. They receive those words, and then they make the act of believing the gospel message. He says in verse 8, they have believed that you sent me. The gospel message is a message. It's a form of good news in which one must act on. They must either receive it or reject it. But as you receive it, those who have come to a saving faith will not only receive it and and accept it as such from God and, and words of life, but they will believe it. And this belief turns into an act of faith. It's a living faith. When you believe and trust the gospel message, when you have that personal encounter with Jesus, 
when you see that there's no other way and that Jesus came from heaven to, to come to live the law perfectly for your account, not only to live the law perfectly, but then to go as the spotless lamb of God, to die on the cross, to take the sin uh, penalty that you deserve for your sin. He took that upon himself. As you see what Jesus has done and you believe and trust in that, the scriptures declare that the Holy Spirit does a spiritual work inside of us. It's a work of regeneration. It makes us born again. It gives us a new heart that pursues after God. Yes, we still in this life have this old heart that we are born with. And, and, it, and when that day happens, when you receive and believe Jesus, you get that new heart. But we all soon find out that there's the fight begins between the battle of which heart is going to control you. We receive and believe, and then we are made. When we believe, the Spirit of God regenerates us, makes us born again. We're made new creatures in Christ. Our righteousness, our sinfulness, no longer applies to our account because Jesus paid the penalty. And instead, we receive Christ's righteousness. So when God looks down upon us, He does not see my sin, time and time and time and mountains of sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. And you say it's too good to be true, and I would agree with you. It sounds way too good to be true. But yet it's truth. This is the good news. This is the gospel of grace. This is God's unmerited favor extended towards you in Jesus to demonstrate his love. So God is just and holy as we've been discussing those last couple weeks. But yet God is love. And it's only at the cross where God's justice and holiness is reconciled with God's love. Because both are put on display. God justly punishes Jesus for us but yet extends his love towards us and providing a means of reconciliation and receiving Christ's righteousness. So as we give the word, we're hoping and praying that they would receive it as truth. We're hoping and praying they'd go, well, I think, I think that, right? You're like, oh, they're not receiving it. And then every once in a while, the Lord will allow you to give the words of the good news, allow see that person receive it, and then they turn and believe and turn away and abandon all hope and anything else, but believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Which leads to eternal life, begins a relationship with our Father as our Father and our God, not as just judge and but yet a loving Father. Christ has purchased this for all who believe. This belief is a transaction, but it produces this living faith. It's a faith that is alive, as James would said, say. He says, do you want to show me your, your, uh, your works by your faith? I'll show you my, my faith by my works. Faith comes first. This living faith produces works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, we quote it all the time. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it goes on in verse 10, we stop there, but it goes on to say, so you are then therefore called into good works for which you are made. 
It's a living faith that produces works through the power of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus is praying back to the Father saying, look, these disciples which you have given me, this is the characteristics that they have in their life. He's not showing, oh, this guy's really good, and this guy worked really hard here. He's demonstrating to the Father that they have been given the word, received the word, and believed the word, and that belief has caused an act of faith, a living faith. Matthew records Jesus a parable regarding this living faith that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 13. He gives this parable to, to try to demonstrate what happens when we give the word, when the word is given. It's called the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9 say this. And on that day, Jesus went out to the house and was sitting by the sea. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down. And while the whole crowd stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. So I think we all know what we're talking about here, right? A farmer or someone grabbing some seed to sow the seed in the ground. And he says, and he's, as he sowed in verse 4, some seed fell along the path. So as he's walking to the, some seed fell along the, the path, and the birds came and, and devoured them. And verse 5, and the seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on ground, good ground. And produced fruit. So we have all these examples of what Jesus ultimately describes as the giving of the word, the giving of the gospel message as we give it out, as we cast the seed out to this world who desperately needs it. We see that there's different outcomes for the spreading of the word. But in verse 8, every once in a while, Sometimes it falls on good ground and it produces fruit. This living faith produces fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. So it's not a matter of how much fruit we bear. It's a matter, are you bearing fruit? Is your faith a faith that produces fruit? Some sixty, some thirty, some a hundred. We're not comparing ourselves with one another. But is this faith? This belief that you have in Jesus is it produces as you examine yourself, is it producing fruit as you disciple and the Lord gives you the privilege to disciple a young believer. This is what we pursue, a faith that produces fruit, a living faith. And he goes on in verse 9, Lest anyone who has ears, let anyone who has ears listen. only way in which this world and those in this world, the loved ones that we have around us, can be conformed and changed for the better, be changed to look like Jesus, is through this gospel message, to give the word, to give the good news. 
in the hopes that the Spirit would draw them in and convict that person to receive and believe the gospel message. So that as they do so, that they would receive this regeneration, this being born from above, born again. So that the Spirit would then indwell the heart of that person and begin this Christian walk that we call the Christian There are, this prayer will go on. Jesus will begin to pray that the Father would sanctify, would set apart his disciples and those who would follow after him, that they would be, although remain in the world, that they would be set apart from the world, that they would be out, although in the world, out of the world. This is our Lord's desire for us, is that although we're in this world, he, he, he's, Father, keep them from the world, keep them from the evil one. These are all things that, all the humanity needs. But it doesn't happen. There's no reform program. There's no political system that's going to make people turn good outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel. We have the light. We have the transforming message that can bring light into darkness. And as this prayer is prayed for the disciples, it is no doubt prayed for us that as we receive and believe in this faith that we have in Jesus turns into a living faith that produces fruit for the love of humanity around us. This fruit isn't for us to be able to count when we're up in heaven, right? The fruit that we can go out are those that we love. The fruit that we can demonstrate to those around us is a means in which they can receive this good news, the gospel message of Jesus, and forever be changed and have eternal life. But this is a great just demonstration of what true belief looks like. The word is given, the word is received, and is believed. And it's my prayer that the Lord will allow us to use his word in our community, that we can give the word, and that through the power of the Spirit, many would receive and believe, so that their faith, that belief would turn into a living faith that produces fruit. I pray that this morning that you can examine your heart and know that this has been a reality in your life, that this relationship that you have, this understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you is something that reflects this receiving and believing that's transformed some type of fruit in your heart, that you've, you've seen that. And if it's not the case, I pray today would be the day when you abandon all hope in other systems or other things or other religions and place your faith in Christ alone. It is only through him that you can be reconciled and be transformed into God's image. It is only through him that this world that we live in can reflect God's goodness and holiness and righteousness that he certainly intended for this creation. And he's kept us here. He's kept us in the world to be the light. And it's my prayer that we will answer the call and be the light. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful, God, for this time. We're thankful for 
your word, Lord. I'm just, I just remember what life is like without having knowledge of you and a revelation of who you are and what life is all for. And so I'm so grateful that you've given us your preserved word, Lord, your inspired word. And how in that word we can have relationship with you and be reconciled to you and, and have this faith that is a abounding faith that produces fruit, Lord, through the, your working. And so we're just so grateful. Salvation is such a gift, God. Thank you. And Lord, I ask for myself and for those under the, the sound of uh, my preaching, Lord, that you would allow us just to spend some time being thankful for what you've done. And in that thankfulness, Lord, that your spirit would stir in our hearts that, that the, the need to go out and share your love towards for others. For your sake, we ask these things. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brother Jim.